What's up, everybody? Welcome to a special edition of the Sooner Nation podcast. I say special because we have the one and the only Zach Lowe joining us, as well as Rich DeCray. Um, we're going to talk maybe a little bit of Bedlam in June, but really we want to get some thoughts on the NBA as it gets ready to start back up. Oklahoma players report back to campus on Wednesday, July 1st, and we will have a podcast special for that on Thursday. It'll drop Thursday evening, Friday morning, because, because Saturday's the big day. That's the day that Caleb Williams is supposed to announce his commitment and several other players are supposed to be committing along with Caleb Williams. We believe it's the University of Oklahoma. We believe it's the worst kept secret in all of college football right now. But who's coming with Caleb Williams? We'll have a special uh, episode on Thursday night to talk that as well as any news that may come out of Oklahoma players reporting on Wednesday. So we're going to talk some Bedlam. We're going to talk some Oklahoma. We're going to talk some Oklahoma State football. But let's start out with Thunder basketball. Zach, we are just over a month away from actually having live sports to cover again that's relevant to the state of Oklahoma. On a scale of 1 to 10, what's your excitement level? I'm not going to lie right now. Uh, I woke up this morning and saw we were 33 days away, and I was like, man, are you serious? That still seems so far away. Uh, I'm excited. The wind, the transaction windows closed. Rosters are pretty much uh, are finalized. They're getting finalized these next few days here. So as far as the Thunder go, we know they've not made a ton of decisions. Went ahead and uh, converted the Gwen Stort from a two-way to a full contract, which I, I wrote about this. I think this is absolutely the right move. Um, I don't know if you saw the, the contract numbers. It's like four years for $5.4 million, I think, which is an absolute steal for – the caliber player that he appears to be. Obviously, we've had uh, just just a twenty to thirty game sample size, so it's hard to you know predict the guy's career based off that. But uh, at face value, this looks like an absolutely uh, just typical Presty move, Get, getting a steal of a deal for him. So I'm happy about that. And then signed on uh, Devin Hall for the remaining two way contract for the rest of the season, which he's played with the uh, with the blue a little bit. So he's probably not going to see much, if any, floor time. He's definitely going to be one of those guys like, God forbid, a couple of our point guards get Corona or something like that. So they have to be quarantined. Um, he'll be there as that that fourth string point guard, I guess you could say. So he's probably not going to play a lot. But as far as my excitement goes, I mean, I'm I've, I've been excited once all the details started to come out, the approvals, everybody uh, buying in. I think there's a little bit of nervousness that's still remaining with the the spiking of cases in Florida. So uh, even uh, even Adam Silver, he said that they could. Uh, pause or even have to stop play if if uh, it starts to get out out of control and I'm thinking at this point there is no reeling it back unless like it just turns into absolute disaster so the numbers across the NBA are solid I think they had like a five percent positive rate which if you look at the national numbers that's actually half of what uh, positive rate has been for testing so I think really this is best case scenario players are staying healthy and as far as the bubble goes, I think Walt Disney World for NBA players is going to be about the safest place that they can be. So I'm not really sure about some of the concerns there are from some players about playing. And I know some of them, they've got family members. You know, uh, I think it's uh, Avery Bradley, his son, uh, I believe it is, that's uh, susceptible to 
uh, cardiovascular issues or, or respiratory issues. That's what it was. So there's some concern there. And I get that from a personal perspective as a dad, you got, you got to make that choice. But overall, I feel like players should feel confident about the safety of the bubble and uh, just the, all the regulations, the way that it's been outlined. Um, I'm really impressed with the way the NBA has come together, formulated a plan and got to execute it. Even though it seems like it's been forever since we had basketball, it's really not been that long. So they've done a pretty good job. And I'm, uh, I, I'd probably put myself at about an eight right now. Um, yeah. I'm sure as we get closer, that's going to ramp up to, to a 12 off the scale. But, uh, um, right now I'm still, uh, I'm just biding my time. I'm ready to get to, get to the schedule. Yeah, I'm at a. I would say I'm at a five right now because I want to be at a ten, but right. I can't. I can't go 33 days at being at a ten. It's just going to drive me nuts. I think each day Absolutely. it amps up a little bit more. Um, I, of course, everybody knows I'm a Clippers fan, and the Clippers will start this eight-game uh, final season stretch with the Lakers, which will be a huge matchup to get everything oh, rolling again. And then they get to end with a Thunder, which will be fun for us to talk about as well. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, Rich, let's talk about this bubble for just a quick second. I, I, what, what, my next point is going to be, I'm getting everything I wanted out of this NBA startup, but we are dealing with a global pandemic and there is, even though you're putting these guys in a bubble to the point that they can't even play doubles ping pong together inside this. Now they can bump bodies in the lane, sweat all over each other, fighting for a rebound, but you cannot absolutely cannot play doubles ping pong back at the hotel. Let's say a player, let, let's say a, a Chris Paul, a Kawhi Leonard, a LeBron James, you know, one of these big guys that's a key part of their team, they come down with the coronavirus and they've got to sit. Is, is that going to be any different in your mind than a player tweaking an ankle in a game? I mean, look, I, I'm a Clippers fan, right? I'm familiar with Chris Paul. I'm familiar with postseason injuries, particularly with Chris Paul or Blake Griffin. Is it a guy coming down with Corona and having to sit out? Is that different than a guy pulling a hamstring like Chris Paul did a couple of years ago with Houston or breaking his hand like he did with the Clippers? Are we treating this differently and going to put an asterisk beside the team that maybe has an advantage because someone gets Corona over a different type of injury? I don't necessarily think that we add an asterisk to anything. And a large reason for that is when you begin to look at the – the known risks or the inherent risk that is involved with playing a season, it's not unbeknownst to anyone. There is money on the table. There's money at, at the center of the conversation for me when it comes to this entire eight team or eight game, excuse me, um, eight game finale to the season before we really get into the playoffs. So if a player comes down with Corona, what we know is that it's, it's an immediate 14 day sentence. Um, they will have to quarantine. Of course, if any other, any other things develop in that 14 days, obviously it can extend past that, but I do expect any, any team necessarily would have to put themselves into a quarantine for 14 days alongside the other team that they were playing, knowing that as you've mentioned, it is in this bubble. Here's my, my only thought 
with that, Matt, is that when you look at that two weeks, the 14 days, does a team potentially eliminate itself from contention? Because we're already looking at the eight, the, the, the teams that are included in this eight game um, finale to the season, they're the ones who were essentially vying for a playoff spot. And I know that the rules have been changed. And when we look at an eight team or 16 team playoff, really, but 18 for the conferences, there were some exceptions that were going to be made, assuming a team was within so many games of that number eight seed. So I, I do think there's a lot at risk. Do I think an asterisk should be added to it? Absolutely not. I don't, I don't see it being any different um, than someone getting an injury outside of the fact that it could affect the entire team having to sit out. Well, Zach, you're, you're our NBA expert. The way I correct, so correct me if I'm wrong. The way I understand it is with the amount of testing that's going to take place with these players, if a, a player, one guy on a team tests positive, but everybody else tests negative, that one guy is isolated and the team plays on. Is that right? I, I from what I gather, that's what it is. And as Rich is, talking about here potentially an entire team being quarantined now I'm racking my brain trying to figure out how do you justify setting aside one guy because yeah he's positive now and say these other guys are negative now that doesn't necessarily mean that's how it's going to be maintained so I I honestly have no idea I honest I think they're just praying and hoping somehow nobody gets it and I, I think that's possible I don't know how realistic it is or you know I'm not a uh a statistician in the areas of, you know, diseases and whatnot. So I have no clue, but it makes sense to isolate the one guy that's, that's infected, obviously. But at the same time, if it takes, you know, I, I don't know how many days I, I've heard anywhere from up to 10 days to test positive, then how are they even going to know? And plus now we're seeing more and more asymptomatic. So, I mean, and you're right, they're going to be tested almost religiously. And so I'm wondering, just how they're going to be able to track it. And I, I don't know. It, they, they've got to have some type of master plan in mind and how it's going to work. Cause otherwise if one guy gets it and then it just sets off a chain reaction, well, now we've got a nightmare on our hands. I do believe in conjunction with that is these are guys who have probably been in quarantine for the two weeks. It, right. It's not something that they're just rolling in off the street and they've had interactions with up team people but they, they've probably been in quarantine self-quarantine for at least the two weeks before they'll be tested to return to any facilities or descend upon a singular location so there there are those precautions but Zach I, I gotta agree I, I mean what is what is the course of action when that one guy does test positive in such a, a closed environment right all right, well, closing thought on the NBA for me, Rich, you and I discussed this on the Sooner Nation podcast a while back. Um, I'm getting basically everything I wanted from the NBA. I wanted some wall-to-wall -wall basketball, uh, games that kind of mattered before the playoffs started, and then the full playoffs. I'm excited. I, I have no complaints. I have no problems. I have nothing but anticipation as this July 30th date approaches, particularly because I get the Clippers and the Lakers to start it off with. Either one of you guys, we'll start with you, Rich, either one of you guys have an issue with the eight games and then right into the playoffs? I don't personally know. Um, I am looking at the schedule, though, and I know we're going to get here pretty shortly, but I, I feel as though it's pretty favorable 
uh, specifically looking at, at the Thunder, I believe they could win at least 50% of those games. So when we look at – and that's barring any unknowns because, Matt, you and I had a conversation about when players return, whether it's the NBA, whether that's college football, we're really quickly going to learn those who have put in the work in this time off versus those who really sat around and did a whole lot of nothing, maybe played some video games, but nothing really outside of that. We're, we're going to learn that pretty quickly. So this really could tilt in anyone's favor at this point in time. Now, being a world-class athlete, I don't think these guys are saying, hey, I'm just going to sit on my thumbs and, and do absolutely nothing. They're training. They're, they're continuously and religiously putting in the work because they know that's their livelihood. So I expect teams to come back and the only issue really being figuring out what everybody's role is again, or solidifying those roles once again. So again, just looking at the schedule looks, looks fairly favorable. Um, 50% Oklahoma city is going to be in the playoffs one way or another. If you're asking me. Zach, that schedule, uh, we'll give you a final thought on the NBA uh, discussions. Um, Oklahoma city, five of their eight games will be against teams from the, top four seeds in either conference. Do you feel pretty confident about the schedule? Uh, I do. And based on some commentary that I've seen on Twitter, maybe I'm a little too confident, but I, <laughs> I, I came into this whole quarantine bummed at the timing because I felt like the thunder was first off one of the hottest teams since Thanksgiving overall, but particularly as of late with Luke Dort in the starting lineup, they're just compete. I mean, coming off fresh off a wind against uh uh, was I think it was against the Celtics without Shea Gilgis Alexander. That was a quality win. And just going into this Utah game, I, I've said this I don't know how many times. I firmly believe if that game happens and then the postponement happens, the Thunder's sitting in the four spot right now. So uh, maybe I'm just overzealous here, but that first game I almost feel like is just a win right off the bat. And I don't know if that's the smart thing to say because – uh, the the Jazz actually get to play a game. I think it was. Yeah, they play on the. Yeah, they they yeah. do play ahead. They play the Pelicans the in in open in the opening day games two days ahead. So they already get a game under their belt. And I'm I'm baffled that uh, Oklahoma City Utah is not the first game. I don't know how New Orleans gets into the mix there for that. Uh, to me, I, I'm not big on NBA conspiracies, but I'm all in on the conspiracy that they want Zion in the playoffs. Zion, baby. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I mean, if you look <laughs> at their schedule, it looks like a cakewalk. It's like they play Phoenix eight times or something. It's, it looks too easy. So, uh, but as far as the Thunder schedule go, I mean, I'm looking at it and, and to me, the, uh, the only for sure loss that I'm almost banking on is that Lakers game. And it's because it's, it's early. It's the third game of, of the Thunder's eight games. Uh, the Lakers, they get an extra game ahead. So they're, they're going to be ready to go with that. And so that's really the one that I, I've chalked up as a for sure loss. Uh, the other ones that make me nervous, um, it's going to be D the Denver game just because Denver was my preseason pick for, for NBA champions. And I still feel like they've got a really good squad. And if they get some chemistry down headed into the playoffs, I think they're going to be pretty unstoppable. And then obviously the finale uh, against the Clippers. That's to me, that might be the most intriguing game by that point, only because it could be likely will be the deciding factor for both teams where they fall in seeding. So in my mind, if, if 
the Clippers have already established their seed by that point. Say they're locked in for sure at number two, and they don't care one way or another. I feel like we could see a couple guys maybe get a, get a little extra rest, even though they've had months of rest. They, they could maybe play five fewer minutes, and that could swing the game in the Thunder's direction if they need it. So, I don't, again, we're, we're playing a lot of what-ifs here, so we'll just have to wait and see at that point. Uh, I, my, my floor for this team uh, with this schedule would probably be three and five. That would be pretty devastating. I think four and four has to happen at the absolute worst. But I could see them winning just three of these games. Um, I think their ceiling is probably seven and one. I think anybody saying, yeah, they could go undefeated. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of things could happen, but I don't see undefeated happening. Uh, my <laughs> optimistic prediction is six and two. And I'm thinking the losses come from that Denver Lakers Clippers uh, grouping of games. Two, two out of those three are, are, probably definitely losses uh if the thunder comes away six and two after that i'll be thrilled i'll feel good about going in the playoffs i'll feel good about a first round matchup maybe even a second round matchup who knows i've seen uh, i don't know if you saw the odds uh mm-hmm. for, for cha- the championship odds that came out the thunder's tied with new orleans and portland i think or no new orleans has better odds which is weird because they don't even have a playoff spot right now uh they're tied with with Portland, who also does not have a playoff spot right now. So uh, I feel like all of a sudden a lot of people have forgotten about the Thunder, and I'm totally okay with that. I hate being the team in the spotlight and then them letting down. I would much rather them be the dark horse and then rise to the occasion. So if that happens, awesome. If it doesn't, well, nobody was expecting them to do much anyway. Again, they're, they, they had the – what was it, the point – uh, 6% chance to be in the playoffs and, and they've already clinched a spot. So uh, this season's already been a success by, by my standards. And uh, I, I feel good about these eight games, um, particularly that, that uh, back-to-back there with uh, the Washington Wizards and the, and the, and the Phoenix Suns. To me, those, those should be two very easy right. uh, Everybody's playing for something, though. Like you said, these eight games, every game is going to matter. So I think these eight, this, uh, what is it? It's like a two-week span we're going to get. It might be more fun than the playoffs as a whole. I don't know. Just because there's going to be so many different teams playing each other, and every game is going to be super important. So I think the only way it gets boring is if Phoenix loses their first few and then they just flame out, no pun intended, just because they they already know they're not going to make playoffs. So. Uh, there's just so much that, that can happen. You're right. This has pretty much everything we want. My only complaint with the startup is that it's happening a little later than I would have liked. Mm-hmm. As a teacher, I'm going to have to head back to work right around the time playoffs are starting. Uh, so hopefully I'm not going to miss too many of these uh, all-day basketball days. I'm not sure how my wife's going to feel like it, feel about it, but I'm definitely going to have basketball on the television probably about 10 hours a day uh, starting at the end of July. So yeah, we'll see how that – can't wait. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. So. All right. Well, we're going to talk some uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State football. Plus, we got a special edition of True or False coming up. It's going to be fun. Okay. So, uh, Rich, you and I, we, we kind of make our living off of this thing, talking about Oklahoma football. And we certainly don't want to move away from that because, as we always say, Oklahoma football pays the bills for us uh, here at Sooner Nation podcast, as well as on Heartland Sports as well. Um, but I, here's what I want to do. Since we've got Zach in here, and we can talk a little bit about Bedlam, um, and I, I want to I hear from you guys, and I think what we're going to do is we're going to alternate. Oklahoma State already has players back on campus. Oklahoma players return to campus this week. 
So as we go into the month of July and the teams get these workouts that they lost in the spring, they get these workouts back, there's going to be a lot of information coming out. For example, Oklahoma, I believe, is going to be a lot of, of center around the quarterback battle between Tanner Mordecai and Spencer Rattler. Uh, Oklahoma State, there's going to be a lot of, you know, just how is the team, uh, you know, is everybody happy and, ho and, ho <laughs> and hopeful again uh, after the big blow up a couple weeks ago. So as we go into July, what are that you believe the top three storylines for each, each respective program? So let's talk about that. And Rich, we'll start with you. Going into July, what is the number one storyline with Oklahoma football? Dang, number one, I was just going to go in some random kind of order, but I'll, I'll give you number one. Number one for me is, is really the, the defensive line. You look at what Oklahoma is losing along the defensive line, but you also look at the progress they were able to make going from 2018 into 2019. They were the, to my knowledge, and if I'm wrong, correct me on this, but to my knowledge, they were the leading rushing defense in the Big 12 last year. We couldn't say that in 2018. In fact, the numbers per, per carry actually dropped. I believe they were above six yards a carry in 2018. Dropped well, decently. I shouldn't say well below that, but did drop below that there in 2019. And we are seeing that progress. But all of a sudden, Oklahoma loses a guy like Neville Gallimore, who was really an anchor to that, you've got the suspension of Ronnie Perkins, who probably is the best pass rusher heading into the 2020 season in the conference. There are some some key elements that Oklahoma is going to be lacking up front, and then they're going to rely on a lot of inexperienced yet talented players pulling in two G JUCO guys, Ellison uh, Winfrey, who will help reload and are expected to be immediate impact type players at that nose guard position or at the defensive tackle in general. So I'm looking at depth. I'm looking at the talent that's there. And I'm saying it's the, the components are in place, but there's a significant lack of experience. And if Oklahoma cannot dominate the line of the line of scrimmage on the defensive side of the ball, it's only going to breed more trouble on the back end, especially in a conference where quarterback play last year, we said may have taken a step back comparatively to years previous but it's taking that step forward again as we look from top to bottom there are capable pastors on each and every team this year so again it all starts up front number one concern for me number one storyline is really the the defensive line for Oklahoma yeah and one name I would throw into that mix when you're talking about the defensive line uh, you mentioned Ellison and Winfrey I would say you know Josh Red uh, Jalen Redman um, they're expecting a big season from him. Zach, throwing this at you as a Bedlam opponent, you see Oklahoma lose a guy like Neville Gallimore, who, you know, going to make a lot of money and have, a, I believe, a solid career in the NFL. But Oklahoma replaces him with not one, but the top two junior college defensive tackles. Are you, when you look at Oklahoma's, how they kind of improved defensively last year, the first year in the Grinch, do you have confidence or are you worried about this defensive front as uh, Bedlam rolls around earlier in the season than, than later in the season? I was incredibly uh, high on Grinch last year coming in and, and just doing some of the work that he's on Oklahoma's defense as a whole, some of the improvements that have been made already. So I, 
as an Oklahoma State fan, Mike Gundy knows all about bringing in JUCO guys and putting them into positions and, and, and just finding those guys. So Oklahoma doing that now, bringing in two, two JUCO guys that are extremely talented, I mean, that's, it's obviously something that's going to be a cause for concern because if uh, Oklahoma State's going to rely heavily on the running game this year behind Chuba Hubbard, obviously I, I believe he's a Heisman contender. He's a dark horse. I think he should be higher up perhaps on some of the odds, but we know it's a, it's a quarterback's award it seems like uh he is one of like i think it's two running backs in the top 15 uh on, on the list right now and i think he's got a good chance to make a run at it have another solid season like he did last year but if the cowboys can't establish a run game in, in that bedlam game especially like you said uh middle october this year it's going to be incredibly weird uh a lot of times Oklahoma state either has a really strong first half of the season or a really strong second half of the season if they can do well in Bedlam, then it may, who knows, it could end up being a good overall season, which hasn't happened in nearly a decade in Stillwater, it seems. Uh, but as far as OU goes, I mean, they're going to get some good tests early. Um, obviously, you get, to, you get to take on one of, the, one of the nation's best rusher, arguably the best. So that could, uh, that, that could be good for both teams. It could, could hurt either one. It's, it's going to be interesting having Bedlam early in the season this year. It's not something that, from my memory, has – has happened in, in my lifetime being this early in, uh, in the season. So it'll be good. Okay. So let's, uh, let's stick with this uh, topic and you give me your top storyline, Zach, from Oklahoma state football. I think my top one is the, the one that's been, uh, it's, it's been flurrying all over, not just uh, Oklahoma state talk, not just college football talk, but perhaps national news period when it comes to sports is just the the Mike Gundy fiasco if you want to call it with the whole uh, t-shirt and bringing up the conversation of, of systemic racism and does that exist inside uh, Oklahoma State's football program and uh, there's been a lot of different voices that have spoken on the subject and uh, as far as I can tell right now it's headed in a good direction um, it could just be a lot of saving face from both coach Gundy and the players I don't know um, I'm not sure how, how you how you feel about uh, the whole situation I've, I've spoken very little opinion wise on it because I know it is a very hot topic and people like to get stirred up about anything and everything so I try not to uh, you know push that issue too much I do believe that it was a mistake I, I don't believe it was anything that he intended to do to be hurtful I think it's been addressed in an appropriate manner he's apologized I think Chuba Hubbard uh maybe spoke out of pocket a little bit too much going on social media instead of addressing it in person, which he apologized for. Some people thought he shouldn't have apologized. I thought he was doing the right thing. I thought he owned up to his small mistake, if you even want to call it that. And then it's been addressed and they're working on it internally. And as far as details, we don't have a lot of details. And to me, I don't need to know every single detail. Uh, you know, this isn't TMZ. I don't need to know all the ins and outs of what's going on. If it's, if, if there's, progress and positive change being made and you've got the guy that's leading that that movement Tuba Hubbard if he's saying it's happening and you're we're gonna see changes to me that's good enough and I, do, I agree it needs to be more than just lip service there needs to be action that needs to be put forth and if there are changes that need to be made then by all means please let's make them I don't think that needs to be in the public eye I think it's been in the public eye enough and moving into everybody coming back everybody healthy and all of that if uh, if this continues to affect morale and chemistry 
it could be a tough start to the season. I think the way they handle it moving forward, I think if, if players can, uh, if morale is high, which it appears to be, again, not everything is as always as it appears. So as long as morale stays high, chemistry is good, uh, there's not any sort of underlying issues, uh, then I think it's going to be a good start to the season. Otherwise, it, it could be a rocky start. Um, I don't think Gundy's going to get fired. I think there have been some local reporters that have said he may not make it through the weekend. And here we are a couple weeks removed from the situation and, and that's not happened. So um, perhaps it was a bit overblown at the same time. I do think it has brought about some positive change in the process, which, which is good all around. So uh, it, it's all going to come down to how everybody interacts. Is, is chemistry good? Is morale good? Uh, are coaches and players, are they getting along? Are they all on the same team? Uh, not just literally, but, you, you know, in terms of all these issues. If that's the case, then I think it, it's going to be a good start to the season, which is absolutely necessary if, if the Cowboys want to achieve uh, some of their goals that they have. Rich, we, you and I have talked extensively about this uh, situation with Mike Gundy and Chuba Hubbard and the players and so forth. So I think our thoughts are out there. There's no point in, in rehashing that. But I, I am curious just to know, because we haven't talked about this as much, I I think – and again, Zach, this isn't a knock against Mike Gundy because I've actually been a defender of Mike Gundy more than I've been a detractor from Mike Gundy. But I think you'll, you'll be hard-pressed to find a coach who has handled both the COVID situation and the, the civil unrest, if you will, the, the racial tension better than what Lincoln Riley's done in Norman where, where guys like even like Dabo Sweeney are being kind of called out for various things. Rich, am I overlooking anything that Lincoln Riley may have misstepped or maybe come back? And I, cause I, again, I see, I see this guy has, has guided it as close to perfect. Cause I don't think you can do any, everything perfect. And also granted his players aren't even back on campus yet, but is there anything out there that you see with Lincoln Riley that maybe, okay, it's just because of time this is going to happen or, I mean, are you seeing anything different than what I'm seeing? I'm not. Honestly, I, I know that there was a large or what seemed to be a vocally large group of people. And in reality, it may have been a minority of people who were waiting for the University of Oklahoma, more specifically, the coaching staff of the Oklahoma Sooners to respond in some way, shape or form to what was transpiring at Oklahoma State and in Stillwater with the football program Mike Gundy and Chuba Hubbard but here's what I'll say is I've never never once seen a coach as um, emotional and going to bat for their players as I've seen Mike Gundy in the past and I think in the, the moment it was easy to overlook that quality about him we can go back years, and I know there's a famous quote that everybody likes to use when Mike Gundy said, I'm a man, come after me. But, again, it's, it's wait, a good – Wait, wait, if we're going to quote him, we got to quote him right. I'm a man. I'm 40. You got you to <laughs> throw the I'm 40 in I, You can't just say I'm a man. But I'm saying I think it speaks to the character of Mike Gundy and his willingness to go to bat for those players. So, again, it's, it's easy to overlook that because of uh, – simple photo that surfaces on social media when Mike Gundy is on his own time and, and really away from the university. I get that he represents the university at all times, but again, to his credit, I, I haven't seen that kind of emotion coming from any other coaches around the country. And so for me, this, this may be a blemish 
on that record, but it's hard for me to overlook or underestimate those qualities about him. When it comes to Lincoln Riley, I have to agree. I mean, Lincoln Riley has said everything correctly at this point in time, um, whether you agree with what he says or what he doesn't say, because I know there are some, to use your term, detractors from what Lincoln Riley has said, um, as well as those who have been vocal on social media about it. That That's tied to your account forever, however you feel about it. But again, Lincoln Riley taking it one step at a time. And I feel as though it's been cautiously or carefully planned and everything has been well thought out before it's ever been publicized or even released to the public because of how fragile a situation this is. Okay, Zach, give me your number two headline. Uh, for me, this and this may not just apply to Oklahoma State, but um, there's some specific instances that I feel it does. This may apply to all college football programs. It's coming back and seeing uh, just who has kept up with things, stayed in shape, come in already in a good place, and not just that, but being coming in healthy and then staying healthy. Oklahoma State dealt with some some terrible injuries at the end of this, you know, the latter half of last season that really perhaps derailed what could have been a couple more surprise wins. I, I know they they were predicted at, I think the line was seven and a half wins, and they were at seven wins before I even realized it. And I was I was honestly not prepared for that much success. And then you see Tylen Wallace go down with the, with the ACL injury, which happened in practice, just non-contact injury, kind of a freak accident. Spencer Sanders gets hurt, and so he's unable to play. Um, it was for a few games. So I, I believe them coming in, not just healthy, but in shape, other guys coming in, in shape, staying in shape, being ready to go. Uh, those are the difference makers. The guys that are working out when nobody's watching, those are the guys that really make the headlines, that end up winning the awards, those types of things. So I think for Oklahoma State, if they want to have the special season that I've seen, you know, I've, I've seen some, uh, some websites are saying they're overrated. Some websites are saying, you know, they're a dark horse. They're going to be the team to really challenge Oklahoma in the Big 12. And I mean, that's, I think that's always the conversation. It's not going to be who's going to win. It's who's going to challenge Oklahoma. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think Oklahoma State is that team, and it's going to come down to uh, not just coming in healthy and in shape, but staying healthy through this next month or two of camp heading into the regular season. Because when these guys haven't had any type of real um, teamwork or or contact or anything like that and they come in, those are the times where – if guys haven't been working, their bodies are more susceptible to injury. And, you know, maybe they let on that they've been working out and they obviously haven't. Guys get hurt. and uh, Who knows? Uh, Oklahoma State has a lot of experience coming back, and I won't mention that just yet because that's kind of my number three point. But uh, uh, it's going to come down to staying in, being in shape, staying in shape, staying healthy. I think health is so important. Uh, you guys know that OU teams have been uh, derailed in the past because of just number of injuries. So, um, you, you got to stay healthy in the off season, in the preseason. I, I think that's incredibly important for Oklahoma State if they want to have any type of real chance at uh, competing with Oklahoma and taking the conference. Yeah, and how guys stay conditioned and focused during, especially during a time like this where they miss spring ball. Oftentimes, that's the difference between a, a good season and a championship season. Rich, what do you have for your number two headline? Uh, at number two, um, I was really going to use a blanket statement because we know that Oklahoma, when it comes to health concerns, as well as some of the suspensions, it has to be at the forefront of the conversation. You're looking at several key name players who were expected to contribute in the coming season who have been suspended, whether it's the running back position, the wide receiver position, 
or even uh, on that defensive line. Needless to say, when I'm looking at Oklahoma, they have to work with a lot of young talent. I'm looking at, again, that wide receiver position and develop them behind a guy like Charleston Rambo, who is expected to be the number one guy heading into the season. Can he handle the number of passes that are going to be thrown his way? Can the other guys step up and take a lot of that pressure off of him and allow Charleston Rambo to be the player that he has been for Oklahoma these past two seasons and really uh, that, that guy who can get behind the defense but can also secure the football in traffic. What we know about Oklahoma is that health played a major role in the, the latter half of the season, more specifically in, in the postseason. You're looking at in the secondary, losing two players, Trey Norwood with a season-ending in, injury. You also had um, DTY, Turner Yell, who had that injury. And all of a sudden, these young guys were thrust without experience, thrust into a starting role. And, and I think that really and significantly hurt Oklahoma down, down the, the stretch there. So is health going to be a concern when these guys get back onto the field? Are we going to see them pick up right where they left off? Or will they more so have a, a Jordan Parker kind of experience where they've lost that starting role and just aren't quite the same player that they were? It, it's definitely a concern. And again, I said it needs to be mentioned at the forefront of the conversation, and I'm sticking to it. All right, we're up against the time here because uh, we, we got to get true or false in. So real quickly, give me your number three, and then, Zach, you follow up with your number three after that. Uh, number three is really piggybacking off of what I just said. I, I kind of combined them since I, I knew we were getting there short on time, but it's it's wide receiver development. Okay. Zach, what's your third? Mine's, I mentioned this experience. Oklahoma State brings back the most experienced team in terms of uh, returning starters. They've got 18 starters, uh, eight of those guys on offense. And, you know, you've got, you've got two really talented playmakers and Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace. And then uh, Spencer Sanders, he got some, he got some work as a freshman and I think he really impressed um, and showed more potential than I guess you could see actual uh, results. So I'm excited to see how much he's grown and, and see what the team really has experience wise, bringing back 10 defensive starters. would like to see continued improvement on that side. I think experience is going to be a key to competition because OU is right behind them with 16 returning starters. So um, I, th I think that's going to be the name of the game when it comes down to it. Rich mentioned, guys coming in and hopefully not losing starting spots if they've dropped off a little bit. I think that's going to be part of that whole conversation of coming in, in shape, being healthy, staying healthy. Okay. Special edition of true or false. It's going to cover Oklahoma city thunder. It's going to talk, talk about Oklahoma football as well as some Oklahoma state football. All right. So here we go. Uh, we'll start this off uh, the way true or false works. I'm going to throw out a statement true or false and then you guys have to tell me your answer and why so we're going to start off with some oklahoma city basketball so zach that means you get to go first all right oklahoma city will be a top four seed when the playoffs begin i'm gonna say true uh i, I haven't done nearly enough breaking down of every team's schedule to see just how the you know, the numbers have to fall for Oklahoma City to be in that four spot. In my mind, I'm looking too much at the Thunder-Jazz matchup. That's kind of at the focal point. That's been the game that's obviously been on Thunder fans' minds for uh, what's it been, three months now. If that game had been played, what would have the result been? I still stand by it. I think Thunder would have won. I, I think they're going to win on August 1st, and uh, I, I think that's going to be probably the flip in terms of the standings. I'm 
at least for a day, that's where they're going to be whenever that game, when it, whenever that happens. So um, we'll, we'll see how, how it's going to look in the end. But I, I, I'm going to go with it. I like the momentum that the Thunder has built. I don't think that's something that's just all of a sudden going to be erased because of quarantine. Uh, I think, if anything, this has been a solid time for guys like Chris Paul to get that extra rest, come in. It's going to be like the fresh start of a season for him. Everybody knows he's good for at least half a season. So this is like another half a season for him after after having, you know, been healthy all season long. So uh, I feel really good about, about being a top four, sliding to that four spot. I think getting to the three would be a, a little bit overly optimistic. So um, I think they make top four. I'll say true on that. Rich? Oh, same question for me? Yep. Uh, I have to agree with you, Zach. Top four seems very realistic for the Oklahoma City Thunder, given some of the facts or some of the um, observations that you've pointed out. We look at the Clippers potentially sitting players later on if they lock up the seed that they're comfortable with. So you can essentially go down the line. And I know you said the ceiling was seven wins. I said at minimum four. So I, I do have to believe, granted, they do have to beat the Jazz. I think they're capable of that, as you've mentioned. But getting four wins, I think, puts them in a very comfortable position at the very least. But I think they'll get a couple more than that, which does push them into that four seed. Okay, Rich, here we go. This is going to lead off to you. By the time Oklahoma starts, actually starts their fall football camp in August, Spencer Rattler will have been named as the starting quarterback for the Sooners. Absolutely not. That one's 100% false. Lincoln Riley has been known to wait up until the last minute possible to name that starting quarterback, despite what the public perception is, despite what has happened in the bowl game as Spencer Sp- Spanders, Spencer Spencer Rattler, Rattler, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. You, you got too yeah. much Oklahoma State on the brain. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Spencer Rattler stepped out at the end against LSU. Um, I, I do believe that he will be the starting quarterback, but I think ultimately Lincoln Riley's smart about the situation. He knows he needs a capable backup, so he doesn't announce too soon, which is why Tanner Mordecai is, is going to remain on the roster. Zach, any thoughts on that? I'm going to have to agree with Rich. I hate to just go along with the flow here, but just knowing how Lincoln Riley has been over the years, everybody knew uh, Kyler Murray was going to be the starter. Everybody knew Jalen Hurts was going to be the starter, but he would not let on. And he, I'm, I'm not even going to lie, the Kyler Murray year, he got me a little bit. He got me thinking, maybe Murray's not as good as we piped him up to be. Maybe he's not going to be the starter. And then of course he was had an outstanding season. So uh, I, I, I don't think he deviates from that. And I, I think you're exactly right. Tanner Mordecai, you know, he's, he's proven himself as, as solid at the least. And I think, uh, I, I think it would be surprising if he somehow actually did end up being the starter just because of um, the, the hype and potential that surrounds Rattler. But um, I, I don't think Lincoln Riley would decide to change his mind after all this time. Why give everybody the satisfaction of knowing? That's not his way of doing things. So he, he's, I think he's going to hold on to that. Like, I don't know if he gets some sort of personal sick joy out of it or what, but um, <laughs> it's, it's his power to do so. So I think he's going to keep doing it. Okay, number three for you, uh, Zach, here is you, you get to lead off here. Um, Chuba Hubbard and Mike Gundy have had their kumbaya moment everything's everything's hunky-dory and rosy in Stillwater. And the only thing this team needs to focus on now is having their best season since 2011. I'm going to say false. Uh, 
because I, I think they're moving in a good direction, but I don't think that it's it's all wrapped up. I don't think it's gonna just fly over, you know, die now because of the the conversation that's happened, uh, that the apology video, yada yada. I think there is more to it than that. I think. Sorry about my dogs in the background. <laughs> your dog, your dogs but, agreeing uh, or disagreeing? I can't tell. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think it's not over. I don't think they can just focus on football. I think this is something you don't just turn your back on and, you know, and move forward. I think it's something that's – it's going to be a consistent conversation. And I'm going to be honest, Gundy has to watch himself moving forward. Uh, so, I, if, if there's any instance of anything that could be questionable moving forward, it's going to blow up in his face. So, I do think that he was sincere in his apologies. I do think he's sincere trying to work things out with, with not just Chuba, but the entire team and work, work together towards some common uh, positive changes. But uh, if, if, uh, if, like I said, if, if the slightest incident happens, it could be, it could be the end of the season in, in a couple different ways. Okay, Rich, any thoughts? I, I am going to disagree ever so slightly. And the reason being is there's, there's a lot at risk here for a guy like Chuba Hubbard. We know what he's capable of. Um, I don't think he wants to sit out this season and then enter the NFL draft. I think he would like to put up very similar numbers to what he did last year. While there's going to be an undertone of the conversations that have happened, I, I do think it's football here moving forward because we are rapidly approaching that deadline in which the transfer option will be removed from the table for Chuba Hubbard. Okay, so we'll uh, – man, that's a whole conversation in itself right there, but we'll have to maybe pick that up some other time. Uh, so we'll stick with the theme of running backs, So for our, our last two questions, starting with you, Rich, Kennedy Brooks has run for 1,000 yards or more in each of the last two seasons. I guess I should say more than 1,000 yards in each of the last two seasons. 2020, a career year for Kennedy Brooks that actually has people talking about him as one of the top backs in the Big 12 – not just Chuba Hubbard. That's a true statement. When you look at Kennedy Brooks, the loss of Trey Sermon, the suspension of Ramondre Stevenson, the number of carries for, for Brooks are going to be career numbers. He is going to be the go-to back. He's going to be the feature back. Now, I do expect someone to come in and relieve him from time to time, but he will be the option on every single down. He's proven that he has good vision. I'm not saying that he's Chuba Hubbard vision level, but he has good vision. He has good speed. He has good patience. He has all the tools to be successful, especially behind what I'm considering the, the most experienced or the best offensive line in the big 12 at this point in time, those Two things combined are going to be the reason that we see. Okay, so I guess three things, the offensive line, the experience, along with the lack of a, a solidified second option are going to be the reasons why Kennedy Brooks has career numbers this year. Zach, you guys have a good running back, but what do you think about Kennedy Brooks, true or false? Uh, I'm 100% true on this one, and that's because I'm actually really high on Kennedy Brooks. I don't know if you remember when we did our running back rankings last summer, I actually picked Kennedy Brooks ahead of Chuba Hubbard because I anticipated that he was going to be the one to have the breakout year. I had no idea what Chuba Hubbard had in store. And I think the only reason Kennedy Brooks wasn't a true uh, competitor in those numbers 
was uh, with Jalen Hurts running the ball as well as he did, there wasn't as much of a need for Brooks to run the ball. And uh, I, I think obviously that's going to change this year. I think the Sooners are going to rely heavily on him. And I'll be honest, I nothing would please me more than having an interconference battle with two running backs pushing the 2,000-yard mark. Uh, I, I think that would just up the ante for Chuba Hubbard and push him to another level of competition to have another guy nipping at his heels. And I think Kennedy Brooks is absolutely capable of – maybe 2,000 yards is a bit ambitious. I don't know. But I would not be at all surprised if he hit the 1,500-yard mark somewhere in there. I think it will be a career year for him. And I think he does extremely well. He, he wasn't as focused in the, in the rotation – early in the season last year, I remember I even asked Craig, I go, Hey, what's, what's the deal? I thought he was going to come out and just be a feature back. And he really wasn't. I think that's definitely going to be the case this season. And uh, I think he's going to put up some monster numbers that are going to rival Chuba's. And I think other Cowboy fans are going to be a, a little more upset about that. than I think, I, I think it's, I think it's going to be a fun season though. Okay. Final question sticking with a uh, running back theme in December. Chuba Hubbard will be in New York City for the Heisman Trophy presentation. Zach? Oh, that's such a hard one. Uh, with, with everything going on, it's just uh, – I'm going to go true. I, I, I genuinely believe that he should have been there last year. I thought he had done enough to prove, and uh, I actually wrote about this as well. I think the only reason that he was not in New York City last December was because of the Cowboys' lack of winning. I think – if Oklahoma State puts together a double-digit win season, which I absolutely believe they can do, then he will be there. Uh, that's going to be the major indicator for me. I think he's going to have a similar season to last year in terms of uh, success because the thing is uh, everybody knows about him. Everybody knew about him last season. By, by midseason, everybody knew what he was capable of. He could break off the long runs. He could go for 200 yards in a game, and it did not matter. He still put up big numbers against some of the Big 12's better defenses, which doesn't necessarily say a whole lot, but – he had monster games against some some solid Big 12 defenses, and I and I think he's going to continue to put up numbers like that this season. And it's really going to come down to can Oklahoma State win those big games that they were not able to win last season. If they're able to do that, for sure he will be there, probably surrounded by a bunch of quarterbacks because that's usually how it goes. But I, I do believe that he will earn that spot, maybe especially so because a lot of people feel like he was snubbed last season. Rich from Canada – to Steelwater, to New York City. Is it going to happen for Chuba? I do believe it is. I, I think that at least four invites are sent out this year. The easy ones to peg are Trevor Lawrence and a Justin Fields, two of the premier programs in the country, two of the elite programs in the country. Alabama, I, I'm not certain that they're going to send anybody this year. I'm not certain that they are going to be relevant in that Heisman conversation with Lawrence and Fields at quarterback. Chuba Hubbard is not competing with a guy like Jonathan Taylor at the running back position this year. He will be the guy that everybody's watching. He will be the, the guy who sets the tone at the running back position. I think he takes that third spot, and then you can give that fourth one to a surprise candidate. Spencer Rattler. <laughs> All right, Rich showing absolutely no confidence in Mac Jones and the Alabama Crimson Tide. That's going to wrap it up for us. Thanks a lot to uh, Zach Lowe, Rich DeCray. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Hit us up on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. You can find us on the internet, heartland-sports.com. We'd love to know how you would answer some of these questions and where you agree and disagree with us. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Fourth of July is coming up. Happy Independence Day as well. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>